you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts, chapter 13. Uh, I told my wife this might be a shorter message this morning, but when I say that, I usually make a liar out of myself. Um, <laughs> it's just one of those, uh, it's kind of a transition passage. Uh, as we come into Acts, chapter 13, we begin to see a shift, uh, really, in focus and ministry. Uh, first of all, m- ministry begins to shift from primarily being about the Jewish people, to now working with and focusing on the Gentile people. Uh, the main character ha- thus far has been kind of Peter and what Peter is doing and how God is using him, and it's going to really begin to shift over to what Paul is doing and how God is using him. And then the other shift is that ministry is primary, primarily being led by these key men of God in leadership positions, And you're going to see a shift in the remaining chapters, how it begins to be about the people of God and how God is using the people, not just key leaders. And so it's kind of a transition passage that uh, we begin to see here. So I'm only going to look at the first three verses this morning, but because of that, I'm going to be bringing in some other passages and hopefully we can kind of stay on the same page here. But uh, I like what Johnny Hunt, he brought up kind of a humorous adage that said, uh, you know, some people make things happen. Other people watch things happen, and still others are left wondering what happened. And uh, (laughs) so you see in this passage here, you got some people who are making things happen, some people who are watching things happen, and other people wondering what happened. But as it begins to focus and shift on the church of Antioch, uh, you see that it's a very active church who is aggressively reaching out with the gospel to make an impact, to see things happen. And... uh, I don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of a church, that we don't just sit back and watch things happen or sit back and even wonder what happened. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want our church to be a part of that, part of something bigger than ourselves, something that God is doing through us. And uh, that's an amazing thing to consider that God would even dare use us, despite us. With all of our inconsistencies, our failures, our disappointments, he still loves us, cares for us. And uh, I love that, that God is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness and love and a million other characteristics that we don't have time to, to get into. But I'm thankful that God still uses us. Amen? So let's look at these three verses, and then we'll begin to kind of look at them phrase by phrase. It says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Lord, I ask God that you would just speak to our hearts once again this morning. I pray, God, that you would use your word to challenge, but Lord, not only challenge, to change us into those the people that you would have us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So anytime I read through passages of Scripture, as I'm getting ready to preach through them and teach them, I, I often ask this question, what is it that God wants me to learn in this passage, right? So I, I've often said, I, and I was sharing this with uh, my brother over here this, this past week, I, I've worked really hard over the years to become a bottom-shelf preacher. And, uh, and what I mean by that is, I just truly want to be a preacher that doesn't preach over people's heads. Quite honestly, I don't have the ability to do that. 
Um, I don't want to preach at people and condemn people and make you, you know, make you think that I'm doing everything that you're not. I'm a bottom shelf preacher. I'm going to grab the book that I can grab right on the bottom shelf and read, and, and it works because I understand it. It's applicable. And so I work real hard at drawing the application side of Scripture out. How does this apply to where I live, to what I'm doing every day in my life, and my walk with Jesus, right? So I work real hard at becoming very practical with not, without watering down the Word of God. And as I look at this, the question I ask is, what is it that we can learn from this first century church? What is it that God wants me to take away from this? And we see this ministry was beginning to focus and take place mightily in Antioch here. And we see right away in these key men, we won't look at all of them, but Barnabas, we said Barnabas was a, his name literally meant son of, encour- son of encouragement. He was an encourager. He was one that we saw earlier in the book of Acts. He would, he would take the, some of the lands that he had and sold them and gave the money to you know, laid them at the apostles' feet, and then they distributed to those who had need, those who were poor and less fortunate. Um, Simeon uh, doesn't talk a whole lot about him. Lucius of Cyrene, Menean. So these are key men who were prophets and teachers and so forth that God was using. But in verse 2, we learn something that's very key about this church. In verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit now separated enemy Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. So right off the bat, we see a couple of things, that there was ministry and there was fasting. And there's a difference in what kind of ministry was taking place. You see, a lot of people do a lot of good things, and they just, you know, and inevitably under the umbrella of ministry, call it ministry. It's ministry. And there's a lot of ministry. But that's not what we're talking about here. You look in the passage, he very briefly describes what kind of ministry, right? It says, they ministered, how? To the Lord. You see, I can do ministry to you, and that's wonderful. I can do ministry for her, and that's wonderful. I can do something for him, and that's great. But what did Jesus say? He goes, when you give water or feed the least of these, you're doing it unto me, right? And how many are tired? Anybody? Man, I think you're all exhausted this morning. That's okay. Got to wake you up. So here's the deal. The reality is we can do a lot of ministry, but our ministry ought to be directed to the Lord. You see, I do a lot of ministry for people, and people could care less what you do for them sometimes. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm not doing it to get a pat on the back from them. I'm doing it to please God. I do what I do, not for other people, because here's the deal. I cannot please everyone. Even though I'm trying to help them, even though I'm serving them, even though I'm doing things that are for their good, the bottom line is I cannot please everybody. How many of you know that? You know that Galatians 1.10 says that? It says, if I should please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So the bottom line is I want you to be my friends, and I want you to be excited about if I... The fact that I may minister to you and serve you. I want you to be a buddy of mine. But the reality is, I will not stand before you when I die. I don't want any enemies. But the reality is, in what we do, sometimes it creates enemies. It creates those who are not in agreement with what we may do and believe as believers. But the reality is, I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please God. So you may get upset, but even Moses said... You guys grumble and complain, but your murmur and griping is not to me. It's to God. 
So the reality is our ministry is to the Lord. What marks ministry that is led to the Lord? Well, first of all, it's led by or called by God rather than man. It's amazing over the years how many times we see people who feel like they're called of God or, or claim that they're called of God, but it, everything is for their, their personal well-being and good. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, I'm just going to briefly read something from that. Deuteronomy chapter 10, I'm almost there. Matt's going to beat me there on, on the screen. <laughs> chapter 10 and verse 8, it says this. It says, At that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to Him, and to bless in His name to this day. What we do ought to be to bless God, to bless what He wants us to do, not for ourselves. And when we serve, it is a mark of serving God, not man. When, when, when a ministry is to God, God gets the glory, man doesn't. It's amazing how many times throughout the years, so-and-so will make a donation, and all of a sudden they got to have a plaque. Otherwise, you know, there's actually Christian organizations, Christian philanthropists that will give money to projects and one of the requirements is that they have to have a plaque on the wall saying it came from them. I think as it says in Scripture, verily they have their reward. I would rather not know who gives the money or who receives the money because that way it's not the credit doesn't go to man, it goes to God. So God should get the glory rather than man. And in uh, Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 7, it, he talks about how they were just making sacrifices and they were doing this and they are doing that. And he says, but the problem is you're not doing it unto the Lord. You're doing it because you want to be seen of men. You're doing it because you want the accolade of man. You're doing it because other people will see it. Maybe they'll say something. Maybe they'll give you an attaboy on the shoulder. And he says, that's not the reason we do things. And he said, and even though you're coming into the temple, Ezekiel 44, you're coming into the temple and you're sacrificing and you're even with tears. And he says, you're not doing it to the Lord. It doesn't mean anything to me. And one thing that we learn in Acts chapter 13 is that their ministry was to the Lord. And when we do it to the Lord, he'll be glorified, not man. The second thing we see is that there was fasting that took place. Oh, man, this is like a hot button in our day and age. I've had people in this church say, well, what's the purpose of fasting? That just sounds dumb. That's just stupid. Okay. But you, you realize that you're calling what God said to do is stupid. And so it really is an idea of saying, where is God in this, in being obedient in this area of fasting? I'll be honest with you. I won't ask how many of you have ever tried this before, but I was underneath a ministry uh, when I was planting a church in New Palestine where there was another pastor in the area that I very well respected. In fact, you know him. He's been here. His name is Hubert Nolan. He runs Hope Center Indy. Uh, but for years, he pastored Brooklyn Road Community Church. And every year, he fasts for 40 days, liquid only, just water only. And uh, over the years, he said, Ken, I would encourage you to learn to fast. He said, God does things through fasting. 
and that's and sometimes that's the only way he does do those miraculous things. And he said, I've seen God do so many things. He goes, I never tell God what to do. I, he goes, most of the time I don't even ask him what to do. I just fast and say, God, you work and direct me and show me through this fast this year of what you want me to do and how you want me to live and how the activities you want me involved with. So I thought, Pastor Hubert, if he can fast for 40 days, so can I. I can do this. And so here was my goal. The dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm just telling you. It was just stupid. I'm going to fast. I, I, I'm going to do 30 days. So I fasted Monday through Friday and ate on the weekends. And then Monday I would start fasting again all week. And then on the weekend, I'd live for the weekend, I'd eat again. You know what every Monday was like? Well, first of all, it was the dumbest thing ever because I just had this in my mind. It was okay as long as I fasted during the weekend, picked out on the weekend. Why? It just sounded good. That's it. No, no, there was no more rationale other than that. It just sounded right. So every Monday after picking out on weekend, it's like it's like it's starting all over again. It was the dumbest thing ever. And I thought after about three or four weeks, why am I doing this? This is stupid. I'm kind of like people in the church who said, this is dumb. I agree with you. I had no clue what I was doing. But I would liquid fast Monday through Friday, and come the weekend, I was pigging out. Start over on a Monday. Did that for four weeks. I got to the end of it, and I thought, well, that was just the most worthless waste of time I think I ever did. Wasn't praying a whole lot during it. I was just trying to get through it. And if that's your purpose of fasting, just to get through it, you got the wrong reason. And God was like slapping me upside the head saying, you're stupid. You dummy. What, what, what are you trying to prove? Uh, I don't know. Sounded good, though. And I remember sitting there talking with Pastor Hubert, and he just kind of looked at me and kind of shook his head. Yeah, he goes, that's, 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 that's not what it's about. <laughs> And he recommended a, a book and some passages of scripture, and I went back and read them and studied them. And the following year, I actually did a 30-day fast, liquid only. First of all, it was easier because I wasn't starting over every beginning of every week. Secondly, I did it for the purpose for which I believe God had for me to do it, to grow. And it happened to be that there was a transition going on in our church plant. And during that transition, we were moving from one location to another location. And that was when I had decided that I was going to fast. And I said, God, I, I don't know what's next for the church. I don't know what's next for us. I don't know how we're supposed to move forward. But I'm just going to take this month and pray. And so for that month, I basically drank water and a little bit of broth for that month. At the end of the month, and Don will remember this, we got a phone call as we transitioned from one location to the storefront in Greenfield, someone in the church, I don't know who, or somebody who didn't go to our church actually, had contacted someone within our church and said, we're going to take care of all the renovation expenses. We're going to take care of all the rental expenses. We're going to take care of all the utility expenses. We're going to take care of any anything you need for the entire first year. And that was God answering prayer through that month of fast, saying, God, what do we do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to move over here, and don't worry about the cost of anything. Somebody's going to take care of it. Say, was well, that why you fasted? No, I didn't know that was going to come. I had no idea. I just knew that I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was next. And I said, God, 
you got to do this. I was actually frustrated not knowing what was going to happen next. But I know that as I gave that month to God, God blessed it and honored it. It says that in this verse here, in Acts 13, verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Fasting has a unique circumstance. What difference does fasting make? Well, first of all, fasting signifies a willingness to sacrifice. You have to sacrifice to fast. Lay off the food for a while. I mean, I mean, I, I should do it again, right? I mean, we all should. But when you're willing to set aside your food and your desires and your appetite and say, God, I'm willing to sacrifice to do this, I believe God will honor that. He'll bless it. He has done it throughout Scripture. Fasting signifies the desire to wait on God. In fact, in Judges, I'm almost there, chapter 20, Joshua, Judges, 20, and verse 26. It says, Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. And they sat there before the Lord and what? Fasted. That day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. What did they do during this fast? They sought God's face. And when you're willing to fast, it signifies the desire to wait on God until he answers. And sometimes fasting is the only way. I don't know why some things require fasting and some things don't, but I know that God works through it. In Esther, uh, chapter uh, 4, it talks about how it gives confidence to make decisions. Sometimes we say, is this the right decision? Is this the right decision? Do I, do I tell him yes? Do I tell him no? Do I go this way? Do I go that direction? God says, if you'll fast, I'll give you the confidence that you need to make the decisions that are right. And he, just, he declared that to Esther. Fasting may help break spiritual strongholds. Remember in Mark chapter 9, and the disciples said, well, why couldn't we cast out demons? And what did Jesus say? This only happens through what? Prayer and fasting. And in Isaiah chapter 58, it talks about how the sin can be broken through fasting. Some of you say, well, I've tried this and I've tried that and I just can't get victory. Have you ever considered fasting? Maybe a full day, maybe a full week, maybe longer, I don't know. But fasting until God gives you breakthrough, until God gives you victory. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6, we see that fasting was the way to grieve over sin. I don't know about you, but we don't grieve over sin much in this in our culture huh. oh well i did that i shouldn't have done it move on next day new day god forgave me move on when's the last time we fasted over grief because we're not walking because we just feel so terrible and, and and our sinfulness is so great that we just say god i i just need to set a day to, to pray and to thank you and to and to seek your face and to draw closer to you See, this ministry was to the Lord, and they were fasting. 
for various reasons, fasting was used. And all this was done how? Because you can't do it in your flesh. Your flesh is not strong enough. How many, to be honest enough, say, I have a New Year's resolution, and this year I'm going to ABC fill in the blank. How many of you have ever done that? How many of you failed after about day three? You know why that is? Because your flesh is not that very strong when it comes to willpower. Oh, it's strong to feed itself, but it's not very strong in the areas of commitments and going on. Verse 2 tells us how they were able to minister to the Lord and to fast. So in, let me get back to my text here in Acts 13, verse 2. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit was with them. That's the only way you're going to do it, through the Holy Spirit. Because our flesh is way too weak to really make a difference. To be led by the Holy Spirit is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Keep your finger there in Acts, but turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says this. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. As we are filled with the Spirit, you'll have the power to do what God asks you to do. Over a couple pages to the right in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 15, it says this. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual singing with grace in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You can only do what you can do through the Father working through you, through his Holy Spirit. Well, back there in our text, another question came to my mind. So the first question is, what can we learn from him? I, I think we can learn that we need to minister and we need to fast and we need to be doing it through the help of the Holy Spirit. But another question came to my mind, well, who were the they? Who were the they? Well, certain prophets and teachers. Prophets, they were the ones that preached portions of existing revelation and, and warned the people of what God would do if they did not walk with him. And teachers, well, they, they taught biblical truth. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 20, says that they laid the foundational truth for life, and it was what we're to learn. In 2 Timothy 2, they were reminded... Teach faithful men who will teach other faithful men who will teach other faithful men. It's the foundational truth that came from the teachers. And what about their service? Well, they ministered. It was a spiritual and a sacrificial service to the Lord. Question, how is your ministry? So I don't have one. Why not? Why not? The reality is, God says faith without works is what? Dead. Ephesians 2.10 says, You are my workmanship created unto good works. So you're supposed to be involved in the work of the ministry. Every believer is. Not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just Sunday school teachers. God wants you to have a work. And we say this all the time. What is your work? There are services that they ministered, they fasted, they did this through the help of the Holy Spirit, but they had a ministry. another couple passages here. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16 says this. Therefore by him 
Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He says, don't forget to do good. Part of our ministry is to encourage others, to make sure that they're a part of what we're doing for God's glory. In Acts chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, he says, Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. He said, I just kept going on. Question, when do we as children of God retire from doing the work of God? Oh, never. Okay, good. I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. You know, there may be a, a physical retirement where we stop going to work every day at 8, eight o'clock, and some of you said amen, I'm over that. Praise God. But when it comes to our service for God, it never stops. I, I was amazed, a little bit baffled, but yet challenged by this, but I believe it to be true, this statement. If you've ever been to my office downstairs, I've got a section on leadership that's about this wide. That many books. There's probably 30, 35 books on leadership. I love reading books on leadership. It's one of my hobbies. But in that section of books on leadership, several of the books highlight this one point. Your most effective and influential years as a human is when? 65 to 75. You say, no, yes. At 65 to 75, you've got years and years and years of experience and wisdom and, yes, mistakes and failures that you can help people with. They are by far the most influential years of a person's life. But you know what else is also true? a proven fact of culture. It's been said that where you are at 45 is most likely where you'll be the rest of your life. If you're a couch potato at 45, you'll be a couch potato at 65 if you make it that far. I don't know what it is about that age, but the they, the infamous they, say that where you're at at 45 is where you're going to be the rest of your life. If you've started to give up at 45, you've given up for the rest of your life. If you quit setting goals by 45, you're not setting any more the rest of your life. If you're not pushing yourself to take care of yourself at 45, you're probably not doing it the rest of your life. I don't know why it is. That seems to be the statistic that is true. What does that teach us? If we want to have influence in our elder years... That means we can't stop growing in our younger years. Right? Does that make sense? We have to start pushing ourselves to learn, to grow, to let God use us, to let God mold us, to let God shape us until the day He chooses to call us home. We don't quit. 2 Timothy 2.15, study. Not just for a while. Not just while it's convenient. Not just while it's 
available. You study to show yourself approved unto God. I never stop learning and growing until the day God calls me home. What happened with all this? Let's wrap this up. Acts chapter 13. So what do we learn? There were certain prophets and teachers who were ministering for the Lord. They were fasting to the Lord. God was using them. And then what? As they were growing, as they were being led, it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And here's what they did. Then having fasted and prayed again, laid hands on them and sent them away. They went out and continued to do the work of the ministry. Let me just say this. You are called. God wants you to serve Him. God wants you to be used of Him. Every one of you. Every one of you. How do I know that? It's throughout Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And why? Because you're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works. That's why he saved you. He didn't just save you save you to get a, to give you a, a get out of hell free card. Skip go and collect two hundred dollars. No, he that's not why he saved. It's not just a, a, a pawn on a on a board of a game of life, right? He saved you for a purpose, and that purpose is to be used. There's so many other verses. First Peter says you're a peculiar people. Why did he say that? Because he goes, I have a task that for you. In first, or Second Corinthians, he calls us his ambassadors. He goes, that's a special position for you as his child. The reality is he wants to use you. So we read the story of these men who were prophets and teachers. But can I honestly say, you can put your name in the list. Amen? Your name can be in that list. Bottom line is, are you willing? Are you allowing God, will you let God use you in those areas, in those ways? I think any one of us, if we're willing to minister to the Lord, don't worry what people think. Only worry about what God thinks. Fast. Be willing to sacrifice and lay aside to seek God's face, to draw closer to Him, to walk in victory. Some of you have never fasted before. Maybe this is his challenge to you to try it for a day or a couple days or a week. It might be the only way some of you walk in victory over sin that you're struggling with. Maybe it's the only way some of you are going to get victory through a relationship struggle, through a work struggle, through a relationship issue with your son or your daughter. What are you willing to do to restore those things? Are you willing to fast to say, God, I really need you to work in this area? Some of you need to develop, get involved in and be developed in a ministry. Let God use you. Maybe for the first time, God wants to, if you're willing. But they laid hands and sent them out. 
my home church had this sign for years. I, I understand it was in our door, above our doors. But as you leave the church, there used to be this common phrase in a lot of churches. You are now entering the mission field. So many churches had that above their back doors as you walked, exited the church. My home church had it. Half the churches in Minneapolis had it. I understand it was above these doors for a while. But it's the truth. It's easy to serve inside these walls. Or it's safe here. Everyone's Christian. But when you leave, that's where some of the real ministry starts. If you'll let God use you. Lord, I pray you help us to learn from these verses, Lord, that you have so much more for us to learn, so much more for us to apply, so much more for us to take in, Lord, in our walk with you. And I pray, God, that all of us would learn to minister as unto the Lord, that we would learn to fast, and, Lord, that we would truly do it through the help of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help every one of us in this room, Lord, to want to be a part of that. Lord, it's not enough just to show up at church. You've told us not to forsake the assembling. And so, Lord, we know we're supposed to be here. And, we, Lord, we come because we desire to be with God's people. We desire to learn and to grow. But, Lord, I pray that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. Lord, that once we leave this building that real ministry would take place. That's what Barnabas and Saul were sent out to do. They prayed over them, they fasted over them, and they sent them out. And Lord, I pray that as we are sent out of this building this morning, Lord, that we would seek to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through various capacities, through various opportunities, God, open up doors that we cannot open ourselves. And do a work, Lord, that we cannot do ourselves apart from your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just ask for a moment that we not be looking around, but you say, Pastor, God's challenged my heart this morning. I need to get involved in ministry. Maybe I need to fast and make sure that my ministry, just check my motives, making sure that I'm serving as unto the Lord, not unto man. Say, Pastor, God's challenged my heart this morning. Would you pray for me? I'd like that this morning. Yes. Yes. The front and the back, the side, all over. Yes, the front. Can I just challenge you to raise your hand? Honestly, just to say, Lord, uh, Lord, help me. Help me to make sure my motives are right. Help me to make sure it's not out of duty, but desire. Help me to make sure I'm doing it for the right reason. Help me to do it with the help of the Holy Spirit, not in my own flesh, not my own wisdom, not my own experience, but through you, Father. Just take a moment and pray. Ask God to work through you. Three simple verses that we can learn from. Take a moment. Talk with God. He'll hear you.
Lord Jesus, I pray for each one who has raised their hand, their heart towards you, Lord, that you would allow victory to be seen this week. Lord, that our motives would be right. And Lord, maybe even be challenged, Lord, to take a day or part of a day or several days, Lord, whatever you would challenge us to do, Lord, to fast, to seek your face, to draw closer to you, to see your hand at work. Lord, maybe even as we learned to overcome areas of sinfulness, Lord, to, Lord, have clarity in decision-making, Lord, maybe, Lord, to, to seek your face, Lord, just to, to draw more intimately close to you, Lord. May we be willing to fast. And, Lord, we know that we cannot do it apart from your Holy Spirit's working in us. But, God, we ask for that. Lord, would you do in and through us, Lord, what we cannot do in and through ourselves? God, in our flesh, we will fail. We know that. So, God, I pray that you'd help us. Be with each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.